Care Stories of Hope and Healing podcast. We have 11 episodes exploring the hope and healing framework. This framework sets the foundation for caring and working with young people in residential care in a way that understands and responds to trauma. The Hope and Healing Framework was written by Encompass Family and Community. In this podcast series, you'll be listening to the stories of young people previously in residential care, practitioners with residential care experience, and experts who were part of the advisory group for the Hope and Healing Framework or are specialists in trauma and child protection. All young people on staff have been given a pseudonym to protect their confidentiality. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned that episodes may include names and voices of people who have since passed away. Breathe their culture every day. Unless you have a full understanding of their story, you probably don't know where to start. Welcome to the 11th episode of Peak Care Stories of Hope and Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Chelsea Leach from Pracademics. Throughout this podcast series, we've explored the fundamentals of care and the focus areas of a therapeutic approach in residential care. With each of these concepts, we've emphasised how they are relevant for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and family. As this podcast will be listened to throughout Queensland, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of these lands and pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge the hardships endured by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and families and we hope this podcast is sensitive to their experiences. We would also like to acknowledge the important contributions made by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, professionals and volunteers in the child protection sector. The Hope and Healing Framework is underpinned by several common practice principles of trauma-informed care. One principle is that care is culturally safe and culturally proficient. Another principle is that care supports Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultural identity. In alignment with this, the Hope and Healing Framework outlines the components of a needs-informed approach, which emphasises the importance of cultural safety, cultural connections and cultural well-being. These components are relevant to young people who identify as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. These components are also relevant for young people who are from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. However, in this episode, we're focusing specifically on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people for two reasons. First, these children and young people are overrepresented in the child protection system. And second, because these young people have been uniquely impacted by historical child protection policies that have created intergenerational trauma, which further compounds their care experience. Therefore, as a system, it is imperative that we do better. In this episode, you'll be hearing from two young people, Mark and Bob, as well as an experienced residential care worker, Tony and Peter. Finally, we've included Dion Tatau from the Queensland Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Child Protection Peak, as well as Lisa Hillen from the Expert Advisory Group. We hope that their stories and ideas will bring to life this important element of hope and healing. The first step towards cultural safety is cultural awareness and when working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people, cultural awareness includes having a sound understanding of the historical concept of the child protection system for these families in Queensland. Residential care worker Peter and member of the expert advisory group Lisa Hillen both spoke about this. But when you bring in the intergenerational trauma, you actually know there is that layer and being in care is 
is a big part of that. Like, you know, in terms of things like the stolen generation, like it's linked. Um, so I, I think that plays a, um, a massive part in terms of, you know, um, some of the things that we're facing. To help kids to think about how they make a pathway back to their cultural identity and connectedness um, uh, together. So I think one of the problems about this is that we leave kids to make sense of that, that and we as non-Indigenous people aren't educating ourselves effectively about the implications of that, about what it means for our, you know, for ourselves and for our community. And then we just let kids to, you know, be left to try and figure it out by themselves without actually saying, no, this is a journey we go on together. The Hope and Healing Framework emphasises that while cultural awareness is important, practitioners need to move beyond that to become culturally responsive to the needs of young people and create a physical and interpersonal environment which is both welcoming and respectful of young person's culture. Young person Mark highlighted the importance of everyone in the care team being culturally responsive. I feel like culture should be one of the main purposes of those case plans to go, hey, what can we do? The concept of cultural safety includes recognising and respecting the cultural identity of others and safely meeting the needs, expectations and rights of individuals in regards to this. The Hope and Healing Practice resources emphasise that culturally safe practice can be supported by a focus on three strategies. First, adhering to the fundamental aspects of the Hope and Healing Framework, which we covered in Episodes 1-4, to including safety, nurture, development and healing. The second strategy for cultural safety is through a cultural engagement process, which includes building relationships, engaging with young people around their cultural identity, creating partnerships and supporting young people to form their identity. Finally, cultural safety should be considered across multiple domains, including family, community, country and culture. For a more detailed explanation of this, you can refer to the reflective practice resource in the show notes. Dion Tatao from Quatsip highlights that one basic barrier to cultural safety is when young people are not identified. Some of the other barriers, I guess, for our young people in care for their connection to culture, the first one is they're not being identified within the system as being Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander. That's the very first thing that we can do for our, for our kids and young people is make sure they're identified properly because if they're not, they won't have a cultural support plan. When we spoke with young person Bob, it was more than being identified as Aboriginal. Rather, it was about being supported to understand what that actually meant. When I found out I was Aboriginal, none of the carers or workers or CSO, they were just like, yep, you're Aboriginal, good for you. <laughs> and that's about it. The Hope and Healing Framework emphasises that residential care workers should ensure that they are aware of young people's individual needs relating to culture, including their spiritual beliefs, and that they provide care in a way that seamlessly includes these cultural needs. Cultural support needs. Yeah. Dion Tatao explains how this can be yes, achieved so through a cultural support plan. A barrier, but if a cultural support plan is done properly, and, and you know the department uh, child safety officers in partnership with, collaboration with child safety support officers, um, cultural advisors as they're now called, um, should do the cultural support plan for every child in out-of-home care. And that would include uh, the cultural support plan, things like their tribal language groups, parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents, extended family. Um, they identify activities or um, experiences that support 
and preserve cultural identity for the young person. They talk about how much contact the, 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 the young person has with, with different family members, um, contact with elders, you know. They identify community events that might be relevant for, for the young people. Sandy Wilson emphasises that supporting young people to engage with their culture should occur on a daily basis. In our region, we talk about um, how do we help our uh, children and young people breathe their culture every day? How do we step forward so that um, they are ever closer to that? A key therapeutic focus of the Hope and Healing Framework is strengthening connections, which includes connections with culture and community. Strengthening these connections is important to assist the young person to learn how to sustain these relationships as they move back into the community and onto independence. We asked Dion Tatao about this and he explained the best starting point. Try and get an understanding of their story, find out what connections they have to their community, um, if they know who their family are, if they know, um, you know where their mob come from, mob people come from, um, what, what cultural um, experiences they've had in their lives. You know, obviously for um, younger kids that might be a bit different to kids who are, you know, older, 16, 17, getting towards independence. So just find out their story. I think that's the first thing and the best thing that um, residential care workers could do because unless you have a full understanding of their story, you probably don't know where to start. Talking with young people about their story may be a good starting point. However, as we mentioned in our episode on connections, residential care workers should not initiate investigations or contact with broader family groups alone, but rather they should support the young person to work with their care team, child safety officer, and local Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander controlled community organisation. This process may also be included in the agreed cultural support plan. Tony talked about how connections can occur through family. Family being the most immediate and obvious connection to culture for, for young people. Because, um, yeah, for, even for, say, you know, young people from, say, Torres Strait Islander or Aboriginal backgrounds, um, you know, identify as Aboriginal. Um, um, so, you know, my, my children are also Aboriginal, but, uh, you know, their, their notion of Aboriginality might be different to another Aboriginal family, potentially, because, you know, uh, you know, have different experiences and, you know, live in a different household. So connection with culture um, would be most appropriate to be done, you know, directly with the family. If young people do want to learn more, you know, around culture, then um, I guess that's where we could look to, you know, the, um, you know, broader family group or the community where the young people come from. In the Hope and Healing Framework, two concepts are emphasised when connecting with culture. These concepts are linking in and reaching out. Examples of linking in were covered in our last episode when we spoke about working with families. Linking in requires residential services to welcome the family, friends and cultural representatives. Comparatively, reaching out is about building connections between the service and relevant cultural leaders and groups. Dion gave us some great examples on ways that residential care workers can reach out. If you go to your local Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Medical Service, for example, they can provide the kids, um, all Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander kids, with health checks you know, to look after their health needs. Um, the uh, um, Aboriginal Medical Services are often the biggest community-based organisation within um, the region, and I think around the state there's about 26 or 27 
of those, and, and they, you know, the number of clinics, I can't remember the number, but there's you know, hundreds of clinics that provide those services. Just connecting the young people in there, they will see posters on the walls, they can talk to the health workers to find out, you know, what's happening in the community. That would be a good first step for them, for, for them to do, is to make those connections with their local Aboriginal medical services. And of course, we now have the um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Family Wellbeing Services, who are there for our, to look after our kids and families, um, whether they are um, in in the in the system in the, in out of home care, or whether there's some or to prevent them from going into out of home care. So our our, our um, carers of of our kids in residential care facilities can make links with those organisations to find out what's available, um, to find out who the elders are, to find out who the local traditional owners are, you know, things like that. Um, those face-to-face -face contacts are often best. Facebook is a, is, is a, is, can be used in a positive way to make connections, like there are different um, pages for Aboriginal medical services, Aboriginal youth organisations, um, Aboriginal and radio stations, because they're all throughout the state and they have programs, so young people might want to tune in. Most of them play country and western music. Um, but they do have sessions around reggae and you know more modern stuff, which I'm into. Um, I'm not a big country western fan, but yeah, those get on, jump on Facebook, type in Aboriginal radio, Aboriginal organisation, you know, um, to make those connections with what's available in local communities. The final component in the hope and healing framework is cultural well-being. And that includes the freedom to express your culture and participate meaningfully in cultural events and activities. Bob spoke to us about what this would have looked like for him, particularly because he did not have established connections to his culture. I think it's important for the workers to um, like do research, see what um, activities and other things that are on around um, Brisbane or somewhere close to wherever they are um, and get the young people involved if they would like to um, just so they've got some sense of who they are. I would have liked to have been able to go out and like go to Aboriginal events and like NAIDOC week and um, just looking, well, just going to random Aboriginal events and just small things like that. All interviewees highlighted that cultural wellbeing will give young people a sense of identity, belonging and strength that's derived from their culture. We thought that Lisa Hillen expressed this beautifully for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people. And in your identity, you know, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, that is about their cultural identity. It is about their place in the cultural system. It's about them understanding a pride in belonging to the oldest living culture in the world and what that gives them through the very course of their veins in going forward and being able to survive and the knowledge system that that can bring. And finally, a number of interviewees highlighted that good practice for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people is actually good practice for all young people. One of the things that I've learned in doing lots of work with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people uh, is actually that that construct of actually understanding who you are, where you come from, how you are in the world, 
how you connect to your family and how you connect to your broader community is an absolute gift to our country. And we should actually be thinking about the practice we utilise with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, how we can use it with all kids. Um, and I think, you know, that that would actually set a different tone in how all kids experience, you know, the in-care system. To conclude this episode, we have a few questions for reflection. Do all the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people in your care have cultural support plans? What do you and your team do to ensure young people are breathing their culture every day? And finally, what steps have you taken to establish relationships with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community in your area? Thank you for listening to this episode, the final in Pete Kerr's Stories of Hope and Healing series. We would like to thank all our interviewees for their time, including our young people, Ethan, Chantelle, Jessica, Mark, Jason and Bob, as well as our residential care workers, Peter, Chad, Elia and Tony. And finally, our experts, Lisa Hillen, Howard Bath, Sandy Wilson, Dion Tatau, Dr. Russell Pratt and Kevin Creedon. We'd also like to thank our production editor, Matthew Schrader, for his great music, seamless editing and the hard work he's put in to make sure we all sounded good. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you enjoyed listening to the entire series as much as we enjoyed producing it. listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and gained a better insight into what the concepts mean in your day-to-day roles with children and young people. We are indebted to the time and wisdom of our interviewees and would like to thank the Create Foundation for their support with interviewing the young people. Be sure to check out our show notes for additional resources for the episode. You can also check out our other episodes in the Stories of Hope and Healing series through your favourite podcast app or by visiting peakcare.org.au or pracademics.org.au. This has been produced and narrated by Pracademics Inc. All music has been produced by me, Matthew Schrader.